great night already, and I'm so glad you're all here. If this is your first time at Faith Church, you get to be our VIP guest tonight. So if you'll just grab that yellow card in the pocket right in front of you, you can fill that out, and then after service, just take it right outside these doors. And we have a gift there waiting for you. If you're not a first-time guest, fill out those blue cards so we can pray for you by name. And if you would like a Bible in your hand tonight so that you can go through the scriptures with us, if you'll just lift up your hand, our awesome team of ushers will bring a Bible to you. Thank you, ushers, y'all are amazing. Once you get your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 13, and that's where we're gonna start the message tonight. I won't get there for for a little bit. That's where we'll start is in John chapter 13. And as we take up tithes and offerings today, I heard this really cool thought. I was on a Zoom call with some different pastors this morning, and one of the pastors had shared that he was at another church, and he said that the pastor of that church got up, and he was just really shy about talking to his church about giving, and he said he was almost apologetic. And he would say like, oh, you know, I guess I gotta get up here and, and, and tell y'all that you need to give, and I'm sorry about that, and so this pastor called the other pastor out and said, man, you are, you are robbing the people in your church of a blessing. You are robbing them of submitting and surrendering their will to God. And he, he challenged him in a godly way, like you've gotta teach about giving. And, and so I thought about our church. And if you've come here for any amount of time, that does not describe our church at all. Because it's Pastor Stormy and Shelley's heart that every single one of us walk in the blessing of God. And it's so clear in scripture that that only happens when you live God's way, when you do things God's way, when you obey God's word. And his word is clear in the area of tithes that we, each one of us, are to bring our full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in God's house. And if you don't know that tithe is simply the first 10% of all the money that you bring in. And so you may or may not think well, they just say that because they want my money or they just say that because they need my money. You may or may not think whatever you want to about why we teach about giving at Faith Church, but I can tell you firsthand that from Pastor Stormy and Shelley's heart, the reason we teach about giving at Faith Church is because we know that that is when God is able to bless us. The Bible says in Malachi 3.10 that when we rob God or withhold that tithe, we are cursed, but when we bring that full tithe, The Bible says that he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so much that there will not be room to contain it. And if this is a struggle for you, or if you, maybe you say, I I have not bought into all of that. Talk to somebody who has. And talk to somebody who has long-term fruit in it. I'm not saying somebody who started tithing last week, okay? When you plant a seed in the ground, you don't expect it to grow immediately, right? There's a germination period. But talk to somebody who's been tithing for a few years and ask them what their thoughts are. And I challenge you to do that. There's people in this room right now who have tithed for years and who have seen the blessing of God firsthand. And so there's multiple ways at Faith Church that you can give into the house. You can always give online at faithchurchlubbock.com. You can text whatever amount you'd like to give to 84321, or just use those gray envelopes in the seat right in front of you. Okay, ready for the message. So this is gonna be part two. If you were here last week, then that's great. If not, let's do just a really quick review. Last week, we talked about disciples make disciples. And so we talked about how each one of us, not just the pastors of the church, each one of us are charged with the Great Commission and Jesus told us, go and make disciples of all nations, right? 
And so last week we talked about if I'm gonna be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples, then I've gotta have three relationships in my life to help me get there. And the first one is I need a Paul. That's I need a mentor. I need somebody older spiritually than I am, more mature spiritually, that I've given permission to call me out, to speak into my life, to mentor me, to train me. I need to have a Paul in my life. Or a Paula, if you're a, if you're a lady, okay. I need a second relationship I need is I, I've gotta have a Timothy. And that's somebody that I am mentoring, somebody that I am pouring into. And you're never too young. There was uh, one of the young men in our church, his name is Aiden, he's a young teenager, and he was running through the sanctuary earlier. He has so much energy, I don't know what that guy does all day. But he serves our little kids. And he's 15 or 16 years old, and he serves with the four-year-olds, and he teaches them the word and helps them to learn scripture. And so Aiden, at 15, 16 years old, has found some Timothys to pour into. So we've gotta have a Timothy. That's the, the, the meat of making disciples is when we have people that we're pouring into. And the third relationship that we need is we've gotta have a Barnabas. And if you don't know, in the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas were friends. They ministered together. They stuck, out, stuck up for each other. And they, they blessed each other, prayed for each other. They were that relationship that you read about in Proverbs when it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And so we've gotta have those iron sharpening friendships. And that's how we get set up to make disciples. So tonight is Disciples Make Disciples Part Two. And let's read in John chapter 13. So we gotta ask a question, what is the mark of a disciple? Or, or we could say it like this, how would people identify me as a disciple? What is it that sets me apart as a disciple that's different than if I'm not a disciple? And so let's read John chapter 13, and we're gonna be in verse 34. And it says, a new command I give you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. And then he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Another way we could say that is Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, in the same way that I have loved you, you love others that way also. Now, if you think about the love of Jesus, that is a high calling because the love of Jesus is unconditional. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't deserve God's love at all, but yet he gives it to me freely, right? And so Jesus says, in the same way that I've shown you how to love, you love others that way also. Look at verse 35. He says, by this, meaning by your love, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And then he, in case you didn't get it, he says it again, if you love one another. And so what I always found interesting was he didn't say people will know your disciples by how well you love me. People will love your disciples by how fluent you are as you read your Bible. People will know you're my disciples by how eloquent your prayers are. He didn't say any of that. He said that they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so my wife's father, uh, he, he's a funny man and I love him. And he used to, he would make his kids so mad because when they would be fighting with each other, like, you know, they're sisters. So one of them steals another one's cardigan out of the closet and doesn't put it back or something. So they're fighting. And so he would just start singing and he'd say, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. <laughs> Dad, stop it singing that. 
But it's true, they'll know we are Christians, they'll know we are disciples by this, that we love one another. And so our, our goal in being disciples who make disciples is we've gotta do it in love. Turn over to 1 John, and we're gonna be in 1 John chapter two. I heard this scripture from my youth pastor whenever I was in middle school, and it was kind of our theme verse for our youth group. 1 John chapter two, and we're gonna read verse six. To me, this is one of the most challenging verses in the whole Bible. 1 John chapter two, verse six, here's what it says. Whoever, everybody says, that means me. It says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. The version that, that we used in my youth group when I was in middle school said, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And so if we're gonna claim to be Christians, if we're gonna claim to be followers of Christ, if we're gonna put that label on ourselves and say, I follow Jesus, he's my Lord, he's my savior, I'm obedient to his word, like this is who I am, I got my WWJD bracelet, I've got my cross necklace, I'm a follower of Christ, then this verse says, I must live like Jesus did. And it's just like we read from the words of Jesus in John. Love like I loved. Elsewhere in the Bible it says that we love because he first loved us. And so in all these scriptures it's showing us Jesus gave us an example of how to love. But man, that's a high calling. To love like Jesus loves means we're loving self-sacrificially. It means, it means we're preferring others above ourselves. It means that we're giving of ourselves in order to bless others and love on others. So we've gotta love like Jesus did and that's how people know that we are his disciples. Here's a quote from Dr. Tony Evans. He says that biblical love is the decision to compassionately, responsibly, and righteously pursue the well-being of another person. Love is a decision to seek another's best regardless of your feelings. And we're gonna look more into that later, but I love that he says, love's not about a feeling. Love's about a decision that we make to put others first. And so if we're gonna be disciples and if we're going to do this in the way that Jesus designed us to, then we need to live like Jesus lived, like it says in 1 John 2, 6. And so how did Jesus live? Well, we're gonna look at three things that Jesus, that, that embody Jesus's life on the earth tonight. And the first one is that Jesus loved. And so if you're taking notes, point one, Jesus loved. Turn, uh, you're already in 1 John, but turn over to chapter three, just one page over. Unless you have one of those Bibles that has all the notes in the world, and you may be a few pages over. We're gonna be in 1 John chapter three, verse 16. And you may know, if you've you know, been in church for very long, that the English language and the Greek language are different. The New Testament was written in Greek, okay? And so in Greek, there are four different words that mean different things, and all four of those words, when you translate them into English, the translators translated them as love. And you could probably figure this out even in English, like, you know, you say, I love the Dallas Cowboys, you know, Smoot family, yeah. they got their gear on, no one told them they're out of this, they're, they're not there anymore. So I love the Cowboys, I, 
I love chocolate pie, and then you say, I love God, and I love my wife, and I love my kids. And so we use that word love really meaning different things, right? And so in the Greek language, there are actually four different, we can call them types of love. And so let's read 1 John 3 and see if you can pick up the type of love that it's, that it's talking about in here. Verse 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Meaning if you're not willing to love others in the way that God has loved you, then the love of God is not in you. Look at 18. It says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Talk is cheap, right? We're not just to love with our words, with our mouth, but we're to love with our actions. And that's just what Jesus did, right? He, he gave his life for us. He surrendered his life on the cross so that you and I could have a reconciled relationship with God, so that you and I could live in eternity in heaven with him someday. And, and he says, I want you to love like that. I want you to give yourself for others. I want you to love not just in words, I want you to love in actions. And so when it says that we're to love that way, when it says this is how we know what love is, when you look at that word in Greek language, it's the word agape, and agape is the highest form of love. Agape is the form of love that God loves us with. And so look at this. Agape love is often considered to be the highest form. It is an unconditional love that is based on understanding, acceptance, and commitment. So then it is a choice. I choose to love regardless of circumstances and regardless, regardless of if it's reciprocated. And so you may, you may hear people say, well, I don't know, you know, her and I, we just fell out of love, right? You've heard that before. Or I don't know, we just kind of parted ways. Well, listen to what the world defines love as. So this is, that's the biblical definition of love. This is the way that the world defines love. This is in, uh, I think, Merriam-Webster's dictionary. And it says that it defines love as an intense feeling of deep affection or a great interest or pleasure in something. You see the difference? That agape, the love it's talking about in the Bible, the love that God loved us with is unconditional. It's, it's a choice regardless of circumstances, regardless of what the other person does or doesn't do for me, I choose to love them. But when I look up love in our English dictionary, it says, oh, it's this feeling of admiration. And let me help you. Love, at least the, the love that we're talking about tonight, the love that God loved us with, it's not a feeling at all. Sure, those feelings come with it oftentimes, but when you choose to love somebody, when you choose to prefer them over yourselves, when you choose to be self-sacrificial for them, that's the kind of love that God has for us. And that's the kind of love that he's commanded us to have for others, and that's the kind of love that marks us as disciples of Christ, that agape love. That's how you love your enemies. You, know, you hear the Bible talk about love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you and spitefully use you. 
Well, if love for us as Christians was supposed to be a feeling, then none of us would love our enemies. Because I can bet you that not a single one of us ever feels like loving our enemies. Not a single one of us ever feels like loving on those who have spitefully used us, right? But why do we do it? Because love's not a feeling, love is a choice. And when you choose to love others, you're showing them the character and the nature of God. You get to be a small picture of what God is like to people who don't know him yet. And this is to your family, this is to your coworkers, this is to your, your classmates. This is to those people that you walk past when you're running errands. That we get to love on people and that's how we become disciples of Christ, who make disciples. So remember, we're modeling our life after Jesus, that if we claim to live in him, we've gotta walk as Jesus did. The first thing we're gonna model our lives after is that Jesus loved. The second way we're gonna model our life after Jesus is that Jesus served. Turn back to the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we're gonna be in, back in chapter 13, but we're gonna start at the beginning of 13 this time. So I had a really awesome youth group when I was in, in uh, middle school. And we used to have like concerts and stuff. Actually, uh, the band Skillet, they came to our youth group and did a concert one time. This was before they were popular, so that we used to have Bahama Bucks brought in sometimes. I had such a great time. And I don't know if you have this experience as I do, but I'm, I'm not a fan of feet, okay? I think feet are absolutely disgusting. Like they smell bad, they look bad. I don't know why God made them, they're horrible. I don't wanna see anybody's feet. I don't, I don't, want, it, I don't want any of that, right? I literally, I would like pretend sick if I knew that the pastor was talking about serving each other. Because I just knew, and this happened several times, they were gonna make us watch each other's feet. And I was not about that life. I don't wanna wash anybody else's feet, okay? I'll wash my wife's feet, nobody else's, that's it. And so I was petrified all the time. Like, maybe I, I, I used to have plans. Like, okay, if they start mentioning feet or washing, or if I see that wash basin, I'm running to the bathroom and I'm gonna be in there a while. I'm not washing anybody's feet. Okay, you get an idea of where we're headed with this. John chapter 13, let's read it, we'll start in verse one. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved them till the end. And so then it says, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So you get this picture of our Lord and Savior, the one who was there from the beginning of creation, the one who, who formed those very feet he was washing, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, and he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash his disciples' dirty feet. And you remember that Peter had an objection and he said, Don't, you're not gonna wash my feet, God, right, or Jesus. But Jesus knelt down and he, and he wiped their feet with the towel around his waist. He took the position 
of a servant. He took the position of a slave. Then look down in verse 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus is saying, I'm not too good to get down on my hands and knees and wash your feet. And if I'm not too good for that, then you shouldn't be either. And this is what I I came for. Jesus said, "I, I came to serve not to be served. He came to serve us and teach us as believers how to serve others in return. The spiritual discipline of service means choosing to do something for someone else, often in secret, without expecting anything else in return. Service involves seeing a need and meeting that need without expecting thanks or any type of Reciprocity, that was a hard word to say. (laughs) Service is a way of learning to value others and cultivate a heart of compassion. That definition comes from the School of Theology at GCU. And I'm cultivating a heart of compassion when I serve somebody not ever expecting anything in return out of it. And I love that it even says not even expecting thanks out of it. You know, we we have lots of volunteers in our church. This place doesn't run without volunteers. And I do my very best to thank our volunteers every single time they're here because I appreciate what they're doing. I appreciate the people on my team. I I appreciate the roots and I appreciate Bobby serving tonight as ushers. I appreciate y'all that served as greeters tonight. I appreciate it. But would you still do it if nobody ever said thank you? Would you still do it if, if nobody ever noticed? And man, that's hard as a human. That's hard for me. Would I do the things I do if nobody ever noticed? I sure hope I would. Because we do it as if, as if serving for the Lord, right? And I know that's all, all of your hearts. But we're to serve others, not expecting anything in return. There's two ways you can serve. One is you serve out of the gifts that God has placed within you. Like God has gifted me musically. And I, and I have a gift and a talent to, to play instruments. And so when I serve on the worship team, I'm using the gifts and the talents that God has placed within me to serve in that capacity. God's gifted me as a teacher, so when I teach, I'm using the gifts God placed within me to serve the body of Christ. But there's another way that you can serve, and you can serve where there's a need. Like, I see that that person needs me to help them. You know the old, like, this is the stereotype or the cliche, like the lady needs help walking across the street, right? You see the old lady needs help walking across the street, so you go and help her. Your, your calling isn't walking people across the street, right? But you see a need and you step in because you wanna serve others. Like Jesus' calling wasn't washing feet. His calling was being the savior of the world, right? But he wasn't beneath or he wasn't above getting on his hands and knees when he saw that there was a need and fulfilling that need. So you can serve out of your calling and you need to, but you also can serve when there's a need and we need to do that as well.
the, the heart of our church has serving deeply embedded in it. And that's because of our pastors. And you may or may not know this, but there's a lot of pastors who, who consider themselves more highly than they ought. And I, I would never name names, but there's a church that I know of, and in this church, they have this playground outside for the kids to play on, and they kept telling the pastor, like, hey, pastor, the kids in the heat of the summer when it's 106 degrees outside, like, we can't even play on the playground, it's so hot, would we be able just to purchase some shade cover for, for the kids' playground so that they can actually play out there when it's hot outside? And so they kind of delayed, kind of delayed, kind of delayed, nothing happened. And then one day the pastor decided that his car got too hot in the summer. And so he had the, the team there at the church, the maintenance team, build a, a shaded cover just for his car so that his car could park under the shaded cover. And so there's, there's people like that that look out for number one a lot of times. And I'm not judging this pastor's heart, but from the outside, from what it looks like, that, that's not an attitude of humility or service. And the reason I tell you that is because your pastor is not like that at all. You know that, you know, we, we weren't able to have church here on the campus a couple of weeks ago because it was so snowy. We didn't have to be here until 10. Pastor Stormy was here before eight. He was the first one here and in his dress shoes, dress clothes with his suit jacket on, he went and got the snow shovels and was shoveling off the sidewalk so that the staff wouldn't slip when they came in. Anytime we've had toilet leaks or, or like water overflowing all over the floor, nasty smelling stuff going on in the bathrooms, Pastor Stormy's the first one in there with a mop and a bucket picking it up. He is, he is not above serving and loving people. And I've, I've done life with him and seen him and watched him and Pastor Shelley both serve people and love people and, and get in the, the mess of life with them. And you may have had experiences like that with them as well. But we have pastors at Faith Church that serve and that love and that don't expect anything in return, that don't expect thanks in return. And that, it's a picture for me of what Jesus was like. Like I, I can't imagine Jesus being like, hey, if we could get somebody with a mop over here. I, I see Jesus grabbing the mop and, and starting to mop up the water, right? And that's what your pastor is like. That's what the heart of this church is, that we would serve and love each other. So remember, we're modeling our life after Jesus. If we claim to live in him, we must walk as Jesus did. Jesus loved, Jesus served, and third, Jesus met needs. So just going through some of the stories through scripture, Jesus' first miracle was he met the need when they ran out of wine at the wedding banquet. And his mom asked him, Jesus, will you help him out? And he's like, mother, it's not my time yet. And she goes, hey, I'll do what he says. Like, I love how she just ignores what he said and she's just like, just do what he says, it'll be awesome. And Jesus met the need of turning that water into wine for the wedding, right? Whenever the 5,000 people were sitting, 5,000 men plus women and children, they're sitting and listening to Jesus teaching them and they had a need that they needed something to eat. And the disciples said, hey, send them away so they can buy food. And Jesus said, no, you guys feed them. And Jesus miraculously provided for their need. I mean, you can look at all of the healings that he did. 
And people would come to him with leprosy. People would come to him that were blind. People would come to him who were deaf or mute or their children had died and, or their, their children were possessed by demons and all of these things and they would bring their needs to Jesus and Jesus had compassion on them and he met their needs, like their physical needs. You never see Jesus saying, your, your physical needs don't matter because we're all gonna be in heaven someday soon anyways. No, he met people's needs. Whenever he calmed the storm for the disciples, they're living in fear, they're terrified, he calms the storm for them. Whenever he cast out demons out of people, he met that need. And even whenever Peter said, Jesus, are we supposed to be paying taxes or like, are we better than that? And Jesus said, we're gonna pay our taxes, Peter. And he said, go, go fishing. The first fish that you pull out of the pond, open up its mouth and there's gonna be two coins in there, one for you, one for me. Jesus met people's needs. Turn to the book of John. This is the last scripture we'll go to. John chapter five. So Jesus often healed people or delivered them from demon possession or whatever else he did for them. He often did it just because he had compassion on them. There was absolutely no ulterior motive there's nothing else even recorded in scripture that happens after that for those people. It says the, the blind man came to him and Jesus healed him. The, the leper came to him and Jesus healed him. But sometimes in scripture, and we're gonna read about one of those times right now, whenever Jesus met a physical need for somebody, it opened up the door for him to speak to their spiritual needs as well. And so let's look in John chapter five. And we're gonna read verses two. We're gonna start there. It says, now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate Pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you wanna get made well? What do you think this guy's thinking? Do you wanna get well? I'm sure he's like, of course I wanna get well. I've been like this for 38 years, right? But Jesus wanted this man to identify his need. Do you wanna get well? So verse seven. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. This sounds like my five-year-old and eight-year-old arguing with each other. He went ahead of me, he cut. Verse eight, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Jesus met his need. This guy had been trying to get healed at this pool for 38 years, but everybody kept cutting in line. And he didn't even answer Jesus' question. Did you notice that? Jesus said, do you wanna get made well? And, and the guy didn't answer, he just started complaining. But Jesus met his need anyways. Jesus healed his physical body, but look in verse 14. It says, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And so Jesus goes and finds this guy at the temple and he says, hey, see, I, I healed your body. I met your physical needs. And now I wanna touch your spirit. And now I wanna heal your spirit. 
And now I wanna speak to those things that you've been hiding. Now that I've met your need, now I wanna help you to what, for what really matters in your spirit. And so Jesus loved people and he loved people well. He served people and he served people well. And he met needs and he met needs well. And if we're gonna live our lives like Jesus, if we're gonna claim to live in him, and if we're gonna walk like Jesus did, then we're gonna have to live our lives with those three goals as well. Now Jesus was perfect and we won't be until we get to heaven someday. But we can still make these steps towards loving, towards serving, and towards meeting needs. And one of the, the coolest things or, or the best things that's happened in my life, when I first came to this church, it was almost 19 years ago. And I was still going to my other church at the time. My parents had kind of moved over here and I was 16 years old and they told me, since you drive, you have a car, you're welcome to stay with your friends at this other church if you want. And I didn't wanna leave. I didn't wanna leave my friends. I didn't wanna leave the church. We used to have youth church on Saturday nights back in those times. And so I remember my very first Saturday night, my dad said, why don't you come and try it anyway? Since you don't have church on Saturday over there, just come try this with us. And so I come to Faith Church. It was called Faith Christian Family Church back then. And I walk in the door and there's tons of kids in here, teenagers, and they have this awesome worship and awesome word and I really enjoyed it. And that night, my first night there, the worship leader for the youth group approached me and she says, hey, your dad told me you play guitar. And I was like, I mean, kind of, I'm not all that good. And she said, our guitar player quit last week. Can you start next week? Now, before you get any ideas, this is not how we do things at Faith Church anymore, okay? This was a long time ago. <laughs> and so, I wasn't all that qualified. I mean, I was fine at, at playing guitar, but I wasn't all that good at it yet. But I saw a need, and a, a, someone approached me with a need. And so even though I still wanted to be part of my other church, I came and started playing guitar here to fulfill a need. And you know what God's done in my life since then? I've been a part of this place since then. I've been a part of the worship team, that's how I've grown. My wife was one of the singers on the worship team whenever I first started. She was only 12, we didn't start dating right away. It took a little bit of time. <laughs> but we became great friends because as a worship team we would all hang out together. Like her and I are married today because I was a part of that worship team. And after I served at the church and I served and I served and I was one of those that was, I served every week we didn't have a lot of guitar players back then, and so I would serve every week. I would serve both services whenever we moved to having two services. And after serving and serving and serving, the associate pastor position comes up, and Pastor Stormy and Shelley offered the job to me. And that came because they had seen my heart to serve, because there was a need. There was just a need. I, somebody needed somebody to play guitar, and I had the ability to play that guitar yet. I didn't know if that was my calling at that time. I didn't know if God was gonna gift me specifically to, to walk in that musical gifting, but I knew there was a need, so I stepped in and fulfilled that need. And that's what we've gotta do. We, we have needs in our church even, with, with our children's ministries. Actually, Pastor Stormy is serving with our children right now. That's how awesome your pastor is. He's, he's serving with the little kids, serving right now, helping them out. But you know what's so cool about serving with little kids? that you get to teach them the word. You get to teach them, like my, my children are in this ministry and my daughter who's three came home and could tell me the first half of John three sixteen from memory the other day. She learned it at church. So she's learning that God loved her and that he gave his son 
to die for her so that she could have eternal life. She's learning that at three years old right here at Faith Church. But that doesn't happen without really awesome volunteers like the ones that we have serving. And so there's a need. And you know what's cool about meeting this need is that the vision for it is so incredible. Dora and her team do such a good job of planting vision in people's hearts because this, we don't do childcare here. We're not, we're not watching people's kids so that they can go to service. Actually, I think I'm watching y'all so that your kids can get ministered to over here. In the, that's what's happening. Well, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you've laid out the blueprint for us. And you said that, Lord, we need to be disciples who make disciples. Help us to live like Jesus did. Help us to walk in love. Help us to walk in self-sacrificing service to our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us, Lord, to meet needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we love you guys. We're so glad that you came tonight. It was an awesome night in the house of God. Our faith closet is open right now. And so if you wanna go up and get household items or clothes or baby needs or any of that, just make sure you pick up your kids first. And then sign up for partnership class. We'll share more about the vision of all the different ministries in the church at partnership class. That's next Wednesday or two Wednesdays from now. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week.